You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern-web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M-O-D-E-R-N-D-O-T-W-E-B. This podcast is sponsored by This.Labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co slash labs. That's T-H-I-S-D-O-T dot C-O slash labs. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Modern Web Podcast. Very excited today to have some amazing guests and to talk about a topic that we all either love or hate. Uh, it's a love-hate relationship, much like all technologies. We're going to talk about CSS. And we have some really amazing guests today. Uh, we have Amy Knight. Uh, welcome, Amy. Hello, everybody. And then we also have uh, Chris Mars. Welcome, Chris. What's up? What's up? Awesome. And then I have an awesome co-host today who uh, is Jake Dome. Hi, Jake. Hey, guys. Well, very exciting. So uh, all of these folks you can actually find on Twitter. They're talking about a lot of really amazing things. Um, they are in the show notes and in the links. So you can follow Amy, Amy underscore Knight. Um, but it's A-I-M-E-E. -E. And then uh, Chris is Salton Burnham. Uh, <laughs> which again in the show notes, so you can find his Twitter handle there. And Jake is Jake Dome, but you're gonna have to guess how to how to actually spell that. <laughs> it's always a toss up, right? Like, like Lady Leet, is it one three three seven? So, which by the way, my name is Lady Leet. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at Lady Leet. Uh, my real name, I guess I should say, is Tracy. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm one of the co-founders of This Dot, a Google Developer Expert, and um, yeah, just really, really excited to have everybody on here. So, Jake, I know this is something that's been an amazing passion. We actually met during a Modern Web event where you gave an amazing talk, and um, I'll let you kick it off. Yeah, let's talk about CSS. So, I think uh, to kick it off, I think it would be good to talk about some of the new things coming in CSS. So, I'm just going to throw that out there, and then maybe, Amy, if you want to talk about some of your favorite things, and then Chris can talk about some of his favorite things. I have a few, too. So, Amy, do you want to talk about that? Sure. So, um, a little bit of backstory, too, on me and CSS and all this stuff. So, I was predominantly, so I was a boot camp graduate four years ago, and um, our cohort did Ruby on Rails and Node and then just vanilla JavaScript. and. I kind of fell in love with JavaScript and Node on the back end and uh, just really focused on JavaScript for probably the first two and a half years of my career. And then I went to work for um, a company that was acquired by Warner Brothers. And when I was working there, I realized that if you gave me something to do with JavaScript, I could, you know, given like an, an amount of time, I'd always be able to figure it out. So whether it be like, you know, a new feature to implement or bug or something like that. But uh, when you work for a company like Warner Brothers and they give you something and a designer gives you something, um, there is no like fudge factor like when I was working at these other companies where with JavaScript or with any programming language, it either works or it doesn't work. Like you can always refactor and do things like that, but it's very binary, like it either works or it doesn't. With CSS, there's a lot of different ways to, you know, there's a, there's a lot of different ways to do the same thing. 
Um, sometimes you can even do it in CSS, sometimes you can do it in JavaScript, right. but there's a lot of like room for fudging stuff there. And when I got to Warner Brothers, I just realized I was kind of terrified of CSS. <laughs> and also it kind of had the stigma of like, it's not cool and the cool people are only doing JavaScript. So that's kind of why I had always shied away from it. Um, but to kind of go back to answering your question, I got excited about CSS the more I started digging into it. and. Um, you know, this is about the time where Flexbox was coming out, and Flexbox took a while for browsers to fully implement it, but now, like, CSS in the past was always really, it was, it was good for doing things like changing colors and different permutations of that kind of thing, but using CSS for layout was, you know, in the past, like, using floats was terrible. I think somebody described it as trying to arrange uh, bars of soap in a bathtub, <laughs> like everything just kind of moved around. So, um, but now, you know, I think there's a lot to be excited about. So we have Flexbox now that we can pretty much use in any browser, uh, any like evergreen browser. And um, we also have Houdini, uh, we also have Grid. So these are all things that I'm pretty excited about. I guess to touch on what Houdini is, so it's, um, it's this, different browser manufacturers are, are coming together. And um, I would say the Chrome team has really been a big proponent of this. And they're exposing parts of the rendering engine. So the rendering engine is what's responsible for parsing your HTML and CSS. JavaScript engine is what parses your JavaScript. But they're exposing parts of the rendering engine so that developers can hook into it, just like we do now if we're trying to uh, create new features like with Babel or something like that. Um, we can do this, but we didn't have the power to do that with CSS, and now we do. So roundabout way of answering your question, that's what I'm excited about. <laughs> awesome. So I know you mentioned Grid and Flexbox both. Um, what are your thoughts on when to use either one um, or one as opposed to the other, and maybe like the differences in what they do? Because Grid's really, really big and really powerful. So unless, I, I would still say, unless that you are confident that you only have to support like the latest and greatest, I still um, would not necessarily use Grid fully for layout. Um, that's kind of my answer there. Uh, <laughs> I don't, I just don't know if it's, it's fully ready yet. So it's been a little while since I've had a chance to, um, I haven't been closely into in CSS now for six or seven months, but because I'm no longer at Warner Brothers, I'm at a different company now and I'm doing a lot more um, JavaScript again. So yeah, the last I tried to use it though, it just wasn't ready. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that's probably still mostly true. Um, I think one difference is um, CSS grid is, uh, I guess, two-dimensional. So you have like the vertical axis and the horizontal axis, and you can work with both at the same time. Whereas with uh, uh, Flexbox, you really can only work with one direction at a time. So you can set your flex direction to row or column, but you can't really work in columns and rows. So CSS grid adds that ability. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Yes, I didn't touch on that stuff, but yes, yeah. <laughs> yeah, cool. Uh, Chris, what do you what do you loving about uh, the new things in CSS, um, changes, uh, upcoming features that we don't have yet, stuff like that? You know, I, I have to agree with 
um, Flexbox for sure. You know that. I mean, it's not really new, uh, but like just the mix of of Flexbox and Grid together is realistically it's the future of layout, right? We don't really have to use Bootstrap or Foundation or anymore. And uh, probably said that really weird anymore. I don't know why it came out so weird. Um, but yeah, I mean that's like the future of layout, right? Uh, things won't look as bootstrappy as they kind of do in the wild. And, and that's to, to be building on the web. And a few of the things that are kind of coming down the, the pipeline, one of them being you know, CSS variables, which are really, really cool, because now we can, we can do things with variables where we don't need like a full-fledged preprocessor type, you know, uh, just preprocessor in general, like, like SAS or less. You can, we can actually write variables uh, that are DOM aware and if they're DOM aware, JavaScript, and you can change them dynamically on the fly, and that's huge, right? And I talk about that a lot. I talk about that in my CSS talk that I give, and uh, I kind of drop it like, yeah, all the JavaScript developers in the audience are, are kind of shaken now that we have CSS. We got, and I get a laugh out of everybody. It's really <laughs> funny. Uh, but, you know, I'm not cracking on you know JavaScript developers or anything. Like I, I'm just not a JavaScript developer, and that's a uh, it's always been one of my struggles, but now we can use variables in, in the browser using, and you can you can create themes now, where you'd have to like create themes with like Bootstrap or Foundation. Yeah. Um, another cool thing that we have coming down, which isn't doesn't have full support yet, uh, but our blend modes, mixed blend modes and background blend modes, and what that kind of does is if you're familiar with uh, filters in Photoshop, like screen multiply, color dodge, color burn. You can do all those in the browser now with supported browsers. Like so IE and Edge uh, don't support it yet, but hopefully soon, you know, Edge will, Edge will start getting support for it. I, IE will never support anything ever again, I'm sure of it. <laughs> uh, but like, I think Chrome supports it. I think Firefox, I did it, I did it in Chrome, but it's really cool to see that because at that point you don't need um, Photoshop anymore for just basic, uh, image filtering, and that's huge. That's a huge win for the web as a platform. So I think all of those things, like the new stuff that's coming to Grid, uh, the stuff that you know, Jen Simmons is working on, and Rachel Andrews is working on, and all the amazing developers out there in the community, they're uh, they're making it better. They're making CSS part of you know having to understand the the whole the whole stack of the front end. I think is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, that's awesome. I love uh, CSS variables too. They're one of my favorite things that are new to CSS. And uh, I, I've in the past used less to write CSS, which is a popular CSS preprocessor. And uh, jumping into a new project, I decided to go without to see how far I could go and see what issues I ran into. And with using CSS variables natively, they're just so much more powerful than what we have before. Um, because there's some real, really cool things about them are they're uh, specific, like CSS specificity. So if you set a color variable on the root and use that in some selector and then you uh, set that more specifically down the road, um, it'll use the more specific instance. So you can kind of override your variables just like you override your properties with more specific classes, which is really cool. 
and you can set fallbacks. Um, so you can say either use the color variable or if it's not defined, use blue. Um, and so but the, those things together uh, paired with being able to set them via JavaScript really easily um, makes them really, really powerful in my mind. It felt more like a programming language after getting variable support to me. So I, I, I really think it's a big addition and they're really well supported these days. They're only getting better, but um, they have pretty good support and I think there is a good polyfill for it. So. Yeah, I think it's it's great that you bring up those those good points because I was I was actually going to talk about that as well. Um, those are other things that I do cover in my my CSS talk. One of them being the the specificity because you can set stuff on the root, but that you can also like class scope variables to classes as well. So it won't take what's in the root; it's just scoped to. Like, minds are blown when I show that off in my demos, and it's like it's so cool to see that. You know, being able to overwrite, you know, in the class, um, change things on the fly in the class, it's it's huge. And also having CSS variables, you can use, you know, the CSS variables that you were using with SAS and less and just, you know, call those if the if the, the browser doesn't support the other stuff and just kind of, it kind of has a lot to do with graceful degradation. And that's, it's really good to see the web moving forward in that direction, especially on the front end. The other thing, too, I wanted to add just, you know, as we're talking about all this stuff to kind of appeal, I think, to some, you know, maybe more JavaScript heavy people listening. So I don't know how they are, but for me, like, I kind of tend to nerd out on, like, performance statistics and stuff like that um, because I'm not always, you know, writing a ton of CSS anymore. But um, as somebody who does a lot of stuff on the front end, I am always focused on, you know, the performance of the applications I'm building and stuff. And, you know, if I have to pick between do I want to learn the latest and greatest thing in JavaScript and look at what's coming out, or do I want to learn the latest and greatest in CSS, you know, I would tend to learn, lean towards JavaScript. But as somebody who cares about performance, like a lot of these newer features coming out for CSS are a lot more performant than what we've used in the past, like Flexbox versus Floats and, and Grid. So, uh, you know, you kind of owe it to your users to keep up on your CSS skills too, I think. Not to mention, like, there's a little bit of a learning curve there, but, um, like, Flexbox just makes everyone's life so much better, I think. Yeah, for sure. One more thing I wanted to mention before we leave the uh, what's new in CSS kind of section of our chat here today is um, uh, support queries. Um, so you can actually use... Uh, a media query type syntax, so you do at supports and check for support of uh, certain CSS uh, properties or things you can use, which is really, really cool for some of these things that we're talking about that uh, aren't 100% supported yet. Um, so like the blend modes that Chris was talking about, you can actually do at support blend modes or whatever, and then add your blend modes in there and the browsers which support it will pick it up or you could say at support does not support blend modes and set tell it to pull you know a photoshopped image or whatever so you can fall back and you can do progressive enhancement with that supports and uh, that's one really cool feature because some of these things you can't use quite yet um, everywhere but you can add new features or uh, non-crucial functionality by checking for support and then uh, adding adding your code within there so that's really neat
forgot about that. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, I, that's one that I found a while ago and stumbled <laughs> across and was like, how long have we had this? This is so cool. Yeah, the cool thing about can essentially use that with grid and variables too. Like if it doesn't support it, okay, here, fall back to this. So right. like, that's a huge feature. Yeah, I think for another sure. great thing is um, I know Chris Epstein, who works on SAS a lot, he, you know, he, we've had a lot of conversations around, uh, you know, JavaScript developers in general, sort of not respecting the, the knowledge that CSS developers have. Exactly. <laughs> right. It's kind of like the whole, like, oh, that's, you know, that's oh, not. Oh, really yeah. <laughs> but I think the really cool thing is, you know, with some of these new standards that are coming out, it's becoming, you know, just like Jake said, it's becoming more and more like a language. And, you know, it it it, it is in essence allowing um, CSS focused developers to contribute more to the front end stuff and also really like hone in on the skill, right? Like it's it's really becoming advanced in a way that, you know, you you really it's not like CSS on the side. It's like, okay, you, you actually really do need a CSS developer to maximize these modern tools and these modern standards um, in order to be um, to have an effective front end. Yeah, it's moving a lot faster than Preach. it has in the past. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. I love that about the web. Sometimes hate, but <laughs> it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I think it's what we all kind of secretly love, even though it frustrates us sometimes. Yes, keeps pushing us forward. That leads me to another question I wanted to ask about um, kind of job roles around front end because, you know, traditionally there's kind of front end and back end and full stack. And full stack does front and back end and whatever else. No one really knows what full stack is. And uh, then, but in the front end, I feel like there's almost a separation in front end also because a lot of people who write accessible HTML and uh, good CSS don't write great JavaScript and the JavaScript developers write really, really crappy HTML and CSS. And that's not always true, but I feel like there's almost um, another role. And I, I don't know how to define that. I wonder, Chris or Amy, do you know, I was thinking, so for someone tr who really likes CSS, is really good at it and HTML, um, who, uh, was looking for a job uh, now, what would you classify yourself as? Would you be a UI developer? Would you just say front end? Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Because I know a lot of people looking for jobs in the front end space, but less JavaScripty, and they're really disillusioned by a lot of these companies who ask for front end uh, developers, and then they expect you to know everything about JavaScript. Um, and don't really care much about HTML or CSS. So if you really care about those things and are good at it, what would you be uh, like looking for? What job title would you list yourself as? So, uh, you know, I, I stick title UI developer. And when I got hired in at my current company, you know, I was right off the bat with them. I told them, I said, listen, I don't write JavaScript rarely at all like i've never needed it uh, for any of the things that i've ever done whether it was freelancing or independent contracting or anything in my professional career and they knew that right from the beginning and they still hired me you know as a senior ui developer because mostly what i do i build you know stuff in in semantic markup that's accessible flexible amount you know, and uh, 
I think I think that's a good term. Um, I sometimes get labeled or have been labeled in the past as a UX designer. And yeah, I understand UX. And that's definitely part of my role user flow and, and workflow and user psychology. But I don't design in the sense where I'm working in Photoshop every day. I don't even use Photoshop at work. I use it at home. So a lot of the times, you know, uh, people can get frustrated because they are a developer. A lot of developers that don't write JavaScript, and that's not cool. That's not cool at all, because that's what I do. I write code ninety-five percent of the day, whether it's you know HTML, CSS, or a little bit of JS, or I'm working on accessibility or performance stuff, like Amy mentioned. I write code, right? I'm a developer. Either way, yeah. you shake it. Whether you want to call me a front-end dev or a UI dev, uh, I'm definitely not a designer, except that's all designers, right? We're all designing and building the web. So I mean, I've heard, I've heard HTML developer, I've heard CSS developer. Um, there's there's a couple different titles I've heard out there, but I like sticking with UI developer. Yeah, cool. Amy, do you have any thoughts on kind of that space or people? <laughs> uh, a little bit. So kind of as I was saying at the beginning, I started off my career full stack. Uh, so, and legitimately full stack, we were working on uh, APIs in Node and a little bit in Koa. Um, we actually had like, with Express, we had a, a little bit, we actually had just like vanilla Node for streams. Um, there was an ETL process at the first job that I had. And then our UI was in Angular. And then, um, but then I moved over to Warner Brothers and I was hired specifically as a front end developer. And that meant that I was doing I was doing JavaScript and CSS. My manager at the time realized that my CSS skills weren't up to par with my JavaScript skills. So he um, kind of encouraged me to take more CSS related tasks with some of the more CSS heavy stuff. Like uh, just we would literally get um, like an Envision link and have to implement it. Uh, but now I'm not at Warner Brothers anymore because as much as I I learned a ton when I was there, I missed being in JavaScript land. <laughs> so the place that I'm now, I am back to quote unquote full stack. I definitely spend more of my time on the front end just because that's where I feel like I can contribute the most value. And when I say front end, I mean JavaScript. Um, but this is kind of... Like, getting away from CSS itself. Um, I know, I think there's a lot of value in specializing, but at the same time, if you've only ever done backend or you've only ever done frontend and you're working, I don't know, like where I am now, I'm in a startup and so there's not a lot of developers there. I think there might be like seven of us and I don't know that I would be as effective at my job if I didn't have experience on the back end as I'm focused on the front end, and then vice versa. If I was only working on the back end and didn't have an, a better idea of kind of some of the problems that front end developers face, I don't know that I'd be as effective as a back end developer. So my personal opinion is, I think it's really valuable to have context of um, the other side and. Even though I focus a lot on JavaScript, you know, still I, I want to be able to, we have somebody that focuses on writing all of our CSS. I still talk to him all the time and share stuff back and forth with him. Um, I like to be able to, if we have like backend stuff, I like to be able to jump in and help where I can because I just think it makes me stronger at my front end stuff, my JavaScript stuff. Yeah, 
Yeah, I agree. Um, it's kind of like the old should designers code, like should JavaScript developers CSS, I guess, is a good question. So Amy says yes, so we'll take her word for yeah, it. I don't know. That's my opinion. I mean, I don't, that's just me. I always say yeah. that's that's my experience, but I would always be curious to hear people's counter arguments. Yeah, yeah. So kind of, I guess, related to that, um, I, and I think knowing some CSS as a JavaScript developer would be really helpful in this. When would you default to using JavaScript versus using CSS? I mean, for styling, generally you're going to be in CSS, but when you hit a kind of hard task that you probably can do in CSS, but if you're familiar with JavaScript, you would, you know, just reach for that hammer. Um, Amy, <laughs> like when would you use one versus the other like yeah, what, that's, what that's, things do you run into that's that... exactly it like guilty like I learned <laughs> that at Warner Brothers so I was working on with some really talented people that really um, I learned a lot from them <laughs> CSS wise and so I mean that that's exactly it JavaScript was my hammer I used it for everything <laughs> but I you know in time I learned that that's actually um if you can keep up to date on your CSS skills, and like I was legitimately, I was scared of CSS, so that's why I reached for JavaScript. It was what I felt comfortable with. Um, but if you can reach for CSS for the right things, so um, like I kind of use the example of setting, if you want to hide something on the page, so you could do that in jQuery, which is what I, tried to do when I was at Warner Brothers from the, from the very beginning. But as I kind of dug into this stuff and learned that if you use opacity, so there's layout, paint, and composite is the, the three processes that the browser has to go to to render something. And paint is usually the most expensive. So you want to avoid that if possible. So setting, so, so using jQuery is usually not going to be the best approach if I'm just like, uh, want to hide something on the page by setting it like display none or something like that. But if I can use opacity to hide it, I am only triggering composite, which is going to be a lot more performant for the browser. So that's an example of when I would want to use CSS. Um, it's been a long time since I wrote jQuery. Maybe I'm sure you could change opacity by like changing classes or something like that. But um, anytime that you can just use plain CSS to change things, a lot of times a browser uh, you're going to be able to hook into uh, the GPU for compositing and stuff like that. So it's going to be a lot faster than using JavaScript to do stuff where you have to use a CPU. Yeah, that's something that I learned from watching your, uh, is it demystifying CSS? <laughs> There's been different that. like permutations of it, but I call okay. it uh, something, it's not black magic or dark okay, magic. Yeah, I think was yeah. my title. Different people have called it different things, but I not dark magic. When Amy, this was just recent too, and it's it's funny because I couldn't remember the three things because I don't even know like the the in depths of the browser as far as layout, paint, composite. But I just remember that from when you and Burke did your most recent five things. I was like, oh, this is a really good episode. I got to like, take notes. <laughs> I'm glad. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So that, so that's the kind of stuff I learned is you know not even maybe maybe not even so much like when to use JavaScript, when to use CSS, but like what properties to use for CSS. But yeah, I mean, you always want to do those kinds of things, animations, stuff like that with CSS. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. I think having that kind of base knowledge is 
something that most people who write, you know, across the stack um, probably wouldn't get or is hard to maintain and keep up with. So maybe that, you know, that adds some value to that UI developer role we're talking about. It's not CSS and HTML aren't the easy thing that people can do because they don't want to do hard programming things. Like you can actually learn yeah. how all the browser renders all these things and know how to write better HTML and CSS that way. Um, but you probably, you know, if you're learning all the new shiny JS things, you might not have time to uh, dive into that stuff. So, and see, that's another issue too, is when, um, like, say I were to stop everything I'm doing on the front end and just immerse myself in the JS ecosystem. Now, that's all I'm focused on. So all of the cool things that are, you know, coming with, you know, new new features to the markup and new CSS features. And even in the accessibility space, I would lose track of all that and like realign myself, but then I would be so far back on the rest of the front end that I wouldn't be able to keep up and then the JavaScript would start falling again. So it's, it's hard to really balance. You just gotta find what you're passionate about and what matters most to you. And everything on the front end matters except for JavaScript stuff. I would say too, like, don't be afraid to reach out to people. I mean, it's okay to specialize. We're all going to probably specialize a little bit, but um, like, don't be too proud. And if there is somebody uh, like Chris or something like on your team who is, you know, really strong with CSS, don't be afraid to reach out with, to them if they're a JavaScript, if you're a JavaScript developer. And I might also add, I forget what, what it was that I was implementing, but I definitely tried to implement something in JavaScript. And then somebody showed me how I could do it in CSS. And it went from like five to 10 lines to like, four lines. <laughs> so if you're worried about like testing and maintenance and stuff like that, which we all probably should be, that's another reason to reach for CSS over JavaScript a lot of times. Yeah, I agree with that. That, um, that brings up something I wasn't planning on talking about, but I've wondered how you test CSS, um, which I, is kind of a uh, whole sidetrack and we could do a whole show about that. But super quick, do you have any thoughts on like, regression testing with CSS and how you should do that? Should most people even be doing that? Or is it usually um, a, you know, a step too far? It's something you don't really need to do unless you're a big company with a ton of CSS or something like that. So I think you should, uh, testing kind of like, it kind of falls under that whole umbrella of performance testing, like when you're, when you're testing performance. I'm a huge performance advocate. I work on the performance as well as the accessibility of the applications we have in-house and, and also give a talk on performance. Uh, but if you can, like, if you can get numbers in, or like in the dev tools, or even if you're using, like, uh, page speed test or anything like that, you can get numbers behind when that CSS is being loaded and then, like, run code coverage on certain things and see what your times are. And if you can load what we call critical CSS, which is usually for above the fold content, if you can get all of that and load that first, now you're not blocking the main thread anymore. And the main thread is kind of like your HTML, your CSS, JavaScript images. Um, if you can get anything out of the way that blocks that main thread, because CSS does render block, just like JavaScript. So if you can remove that variable of uh, render blocking and add that in above the fold, that will tremendously increase uh, the performance. And then you could just do like a regression test, just make sure everything matches up and, and go from there. Yeah, that makes sense. Thanks, Chris. Um, so as far as there's a lot of different things in CSS that 
people find hard. Um, one of those for me is stacking context. I still have no idea how Z index works. I watched Amy's talk probably like twice and still haven't got it quite yet, which is not Amy's fault. It's my dense brain. But um, like, as far as what things do you run into that people have trouble with um, the most or, you know, tricky things that you wouldn't expect to uh, run into an issue with? So yeah, so stacking context until I <laughs> until I dug into this, I had no idea what it was either, and I had similar issues with the index. And um, oddly enough, so some um, there's a developer at Eventbrite who is um, the principal developer there, and he I guess I, I don't know if it was him, but somebody on his team or a group of developers were stuck on the CSS issue for like two days and they just like couldn't for the lives of them figure it out. And these are like really experienced developers. Um, and the problem was, um, so there are different properties besides the index that create new stacking context. I guess to back up and explain to people what stacking context is. So um, anytime you have something and you apply the index and it has a position property applied to it, like other than static, so actually positioned, um, it's going to create a stacking context, which means it's going to confine all of the sibling elements. It, it's going to, that element is going to be the parent element, and then any sibling elements are going to fall in line under it. So if you have um, one parent and it has siblings, those, and then you have a, a parent B with siblings, you can't get the siblings of parent A to fall within different the index of the siblings of parent B because it's all about which stacking context you're in. So these different properties create different stacking contexts and um, long story short with this, um, these other, the developers that had me come and do this lunch and learn there where I just gave my talk, uh, it was, they were either applying like a transform and opacity, one or the other, and um, it was creating a new stacking context and they didn't realize that. So uh, it's important to know which properties are going to create a new stacking context. And you can actually go into your developer tools then and see uh, if you're trying to position something, if you're trying to apply the index and it's not working, make sure you know uh, which stacking context you're in. It's a very common bug. This <laughs> blows my mind. It blows my mind. I swear, it blows my mind. I, I love it. I love, I love hearing your explanation about it. <laughs> Uh, it blew my mind the first time I heard it. Too, so. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just repeating stuff that I read. <laughs> Chris, have you run into? Uh, are there any like uh, you know CSS gotchas or certain types of properties or issues that you find when you're working with juniors or you know your personal experience you've run into? Oh, let's see. Um, flexbox. Flexbox is tricky. Like grid is tricky. Grid is super mm -hmm. tricky. Uh, but flexbox is tricky too. Like. Just trying to remember like what parent, like what direction your stuff on your parent, and like trying to remember if it's you know spacing stuff out, if it's going to be space between or space even, and then how that relates to the the direction of the flexed parent, it gets confusing. So you kind of got to watch what you're doing when you you know have your parent element, and then you you start putting children inside of that because every all the children are based on the parent. So just keeping order of what's going on in the chaos that's ensuing mm -hmm. will uh, will let you keep your sanity if you can just remember those things. Yeah. So one other thing I was going to add to you, we're talking about like tricky things. So besides the index, um, 
one thing that I was always getting tripped up about was specificity and kind of, you know, part of me doing this talk was I felt really good about debugging my JavaScript because like it's just it's just code and the browser is literally just following a set of rules that somebody coded to execute the JavaScript. And, you know, to me, CSS seemed like magic, um, like specificity, stuff like that. But uh, I won't get into it because we're kind of close on time. But if you, I think it, if you are writing any CSS whatsoever or you're a front-end developer, you could afford to make sure that you understand um, the specificity rules, how it's calculated. I know after giving this talk that a couple people have come up to me afterwards and tell me that this is a really popular interview question. <laughs> so if you're looking for a new job soon um, and you might be writing CSS there, it, it, it would pay to make sure you understand how CSS specificity is calculated because it's just a calculation, just like a lot of stuff we do in JavaScript, very systematic. Plus one on that. <laughs> it's definitely important. Yeah. So um, I think last question here. I want to hear a war story about CSS. And yes. I think with CSS, I mean, most people have them for anything. But CSS, some things are just, you know, you're so many levels deep. It's hard to know what is actually causing the issue. CSS bugs to me are a whole different animal from JavaScript or uh, PHP or any other type of thing. So like, what is the weirdest thing that you've run into that was either an issue in your code or actually a browser bug and you spent like way longer than you'd like to admit on it? I guess you want to go first. <laughs> okay. um, so I'll, the one I'd probably say would be the thing that I heard about at Eventbrite. That was pretty good. Anytime I hear like senior developers that have been doing this for years and years and years tripped up for a couple days, uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> um, this is nothing crazy. It was it was really easy to fix. Um, but recently, where I work, we had a uh, so we have like different levels of bugs. And because I work in a finance application, uh, anytime that a users, um, anytime they're trying to see uh, different funds and the funds are off or they're not what they expect, it's a P one. And so most people would think you would have a P1 because of a JavaScript bug or <laughs> something like that or something wrong with the database. We had a P1 because CSS was hiding a number on the page. So that's pretty good. Wow. Wow. <laughs> wow. That's crazy. <laughs> Chris? One for me. Um, I would have to say it's at the enterprise level working in a content management system, and, and the, the content management system doesn't work. But when you you write underlying base CSS, and then, like, say somebody goes into the to the back end in, like, the, the text editor, it starts adding their own styles, because they might know a little bit about CSS and, and markup just to be dangerous. And, and things start to break code. It's actually coming from the, the rich text editor. So you got to like figure that out, and this actually happened recently. Not so much this, but uh, switching configurations in, in CMS and the the element is was wrong, and it took me about two weeks to actually like figure out what the problem was. That it wasn't coming from the CMS side; it was actually two separate lot two separate style sheets that were getting loaded for two different configurations and two different environments. 
and stuff and it worked so <laughs> wow <laughs> so i think i think that's all we have for today in kind of in do summary have, oh sorry jake do you have any uh you have any war stories at all i do i feel like all of mine have either been too stupid to admit or too many levels nested deep of like probably terrible things that I did that actually caused the problem. Like I'm usually like, ah, oh, stupid browsers that you have no idea how to write this. And then I show it to <laughs> someone they're like, you know, you have no idea how to write CSS and that's why. So uh, I don't, I don't think I have any short enough to talk about on the show or I, not embarrassing enough. <laughs> I bet we all have super embarrassing ones. <laughs> yeah, probably. I don't remember the specific rule for the P1, but I'm sure it was probably pretty. <laughs> yeah. Here's one, here's one that we all forget how to write the actual link tag to link our style. Sheet yes. Set. See? Yeah. And Pages I mean, just, time. just use Webpack. Just import that. I was going to say, it's like it's all just configured. Like you actually have to do this? Like it's not just magic, it just happens. <laughs> like, we take well, I work all in. tools totally for granted. Exactly. You just show up on a project and it just works. <laughs> well, very cool. Um, thank you so much, everybody, for joining. It was really awesome to hear like so many amazing different things related to CSS. Um, again, I love how the industry is moving forward and, uh, you know, like people, I don't, I don't think a lot of people, especially in the JavaScript world, have been paying attention to what has been going on in CSS, but as designers are, you know, working more with Photoshop and, you know, learning a little bit of CSS, they are definitely have the opportunity to start, you know, becoming more programmers. So I think CSS is a great sort of like uh, gateway drug into more development focused things. So I think that's really cool. And I, I love that web web standards and the people who are actually pushing these things, like again, Chris Epstein from SAS and the folks that he works with um, to make this, make this more a reality. So uh, you can follow Modern Web at Modern D-O-T Web, that's modern.web on Twitter. Uh, you can also find us for more podcasts on our website. It's, uh, I think it's just modern-web.org, quite honestly. Um, but yes, we have tons of links. Just Google it. Um, Modern Web will not return a bajillion links. Of course not. <laughs> and uh, besides that, follow our amazing guests and my amazing co-host on Twitter. Again, we have Amy Knight, Krista Mars, and Jake the Dome. And thank you again, and we will see you on the next uh, podcast. Thanks for having me. See ya. <laughs> You're an awesome host, Jake. Thank, thank you. you. <laughs> okay, time to get back to work, everybody, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. This podcast is sponsored by NativeScript. Want to use your web skills to build iOS and Android apps? Try NativeScript. NativeScript is an open source framework for building native mobile apps using technologies you already know, like JavaScript, Angular, or Vue. Learn more at nativescript.org slash modernweb.